Well, holy cow, y'all, Christmas is less than two weeks away. And I just want to tell everyone online, everyone in the room, our team began praying and dreaming and strategizing and quite honestly crying a little bit about Christmas many, many, many weeks ago. And the question that we asked is, how can we make Christmas both special and accessible to everyone this year? And that was no easy feat. I mean, there were a lot of challenges, uh, not the least of which is just capacity. Our Christmas Eve services are the biggest every year. Last year, we had over 850 people attend one of our Christmas Eve services. And we were thinking, how are we going to do that in this season of COVID with social distancing here at the Y with capacity issues, all that? And, and we began to fret. And then the team went back to the drawing board. And without me there, they came up with the best idea ever, which is just a lesson in and of itself. But we'll talk about that later. They said, what if it, we thought outside of the box and they came up with a box? So let me tell you about this just a little bit. In fact, under each of your chairs right now, I want you to reach down and pull out this box because just like Oprah, in one of these boxes is a brand new car. I'm just kidding. No cars for Christmas. But I, without opening it, don't open it. Don't open it. It's not Christmas. You got to save this for Christmas Eve. Let me tell you about what's in here. We have planned and designed, as Nathan said, a beautiful service for you that's going to be online. But unlike normal online services, there are interactive elements for you and your family and your neighbors and your friends. And all of the pieces that help you with that interactive part are contained in this box. And we hope that this will be a gift of hope to you and your family, unlike anything that we've ever done before. Oh, we love how creativity thrives in confined limits. And this year, we have been our best creative selves to do this for you and with you. Now, here's the other thing we want you to do. Everyone in the room, we want you to take one of these boxes with you, but we also want you to pick up an extra box on your way out the door because we want you to think about a family or a friend or a neighbor or a coworker who might need the gift of hope this year. You can gift this box to, box to them and say, hey, this is something my church is doing for Easter. Uh, excuse me, for Easter. We'll get to Easter eventually for Christmas this year. And if you don't have a place to celebrate the birth of Jesus, we want you to do that. Some of you might even consider inviting a family or neighbor or friend over and doing it with them if that's something you're comfortable doing. We wanted to provide Christmas for you in a safe way, and this is the best we could do. For those of you online, there are, there are instructions that you'll be receiving in an email right after services today about how you can pick up your box here at the Y uh, and how you can also pick one up for a neighbor or friend. So don't miss out this year on Christmas Eve. It's gonna be a little bit different, but it's gonna be a lot of fun. So now, uh, would you stand up, turn to a neighbor, and wink at them or give them an air high five and wish them a happy Advent today? Go. You guys can sit back down. Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, starting in verse 17. Would you hear these words this morning? On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, 
I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. She told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Thank you, Nathan, for that reading. Well, we are continuing today in our series, our Advent series, A Gift of Hope. And I've been thinking a lot about hope these last few weeks. Uh, in fact, I want to share a little story. One of the dreams I've always had uh, has been to get my pilot license and be able to fly. Now, I'm so accident prone that I know better than to actually do it, but it's been a dream of mine for many, many years. And I was reading this week about something with small aircraft, what they call light aircraft. And I know many of you work in the airline industry, many of you are pilots, so forgive me if I get this wrong, but small single propeller planes like the Cessnas that would just be a personal aircraft, they just seem like they'd be so much fun to fly, right? And I was reading this week that the number one cause of crashes in these small light aircraft, number one cause, any guesses? Running out of fuel. Isn't that interesting? Simply running out of gas is the number one reason for crashes in these small planes. And it got me thinking about hope because I think it's the same with hope. The number one reason that I think our lives can crash is that we run out of hope. Our hope tanks run empty. And that's what I wanna kinda of explore with you today. We've been in this series, A Gift of Hope, and we've been thinking about this verse that the Apostle Paul writes. He says, may the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him, and that hope might spill over from us into the lives of others. See, you and I were created to be hope bringers, hope fillers, hope gifters. But in order to be a hope gifter, in order to be a hope bringer, we have to first and foremost be filled with hope. Our own hope tanks have to be full. And so next week, we're going to explore what does it look like? What does it mean to be a hope bringer in this world? What does it mean to be a hope giver? But today, I want to look at what does it mean to fill our own tanks with hope? And what is the number one thing that can rob us of hope in our lives? You see, one of the things we learn eventually, if you live more than a week, you realize that we all suffer loss at some point, right? We all suffer loss. Whether you're young or old, rich or poor, good-looking or not so good-looking, you will eventually experience loss. You don't even have to be a Panthers fan. It's going to come to you at some point. But the truth is, if you live for any reasonable amount of time, you will experience some kind of loss. And the question is, the question you will face is, how do we find hope in the midst of loss? Loss comes in many different forms. Uh, we, we can experience relational loss, loss of a friendship, loss of a marriage, or where a, a, a relationship simply deteriorates. Sometimes loss is very tangible, loss of a job or loss of a home. Still other times, loss can be harder to name. It's, it's loss of a dream or, or loss of a preferred or imagined future. And in 2020, this year, many of us have had to face 
the real loss, the loss to death, the loss of a loved one. Or we're approaching Christmas and we're mind, we are reminded of that loved one that is not with us this year. You see, loss comes in many different forms. And of course, when grief and loss come, there are many, many questions and there are never easy answers. But what I want to suggest to you this morning is that even in the midst of all of that, there can be hope. We can find hope in the midst of loss, and that's actually what Jesus came to do. It's a fascinating story in the Bible. You will know this story. We just heard parts of it read aloud. It's a story about Lazarus, his death, and his resurrection by Jesus. Now, Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and we're going to look at their story, not at the part that you probably already know, the part where Lazarus is raised from the dead, he walks out of the tomb, but we're going to look at the scene that happens before that, where Mary and Martha experience this loss. There's something quite remarkable here for us to learn. One day, Lazarus dies, and it shakes the sister's foundation. This wasn't the, the way the story was supposed to go, and it leaves them with lots of questions. God, where are you? God, where were you? God, why did you let this happen? The story has a lot to say about hope in the midst of grief. It's found in the Gospel of John in chapter 11. You can read along with me. Let me read to you again these words from John's Gospel. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now this story begins, as many in the Gospels do, with someone asking Jesus for help. Only this time it's different. This is not a request from a struggling father or a hurting woman like Mitch talked about last week. This time, the request comes from some of Jesus' closest friends. These three siblings lived outside of Jerusalem in a suburb called Bethany. Jesus had stayed with them often. In fact, they are so close that Mary and Martha don't even have to mention the brother's name. They simply say, Jesus, the one you love is sick. Interestingly enough, this phrase, the one you love, can also be translated your dear friend or even your best friend. In other words, it's almost as if Mary and Martha are sending a text to Jesus or one of the disciples and they're saying, Jesus, Jesus, listen, your BFF is sick, drop everything and get over here. In fact, verse five, in verse five, John tells us explicitly, he says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. But what's so surprising here is not that he loved them, but what happens next? Look with me at the next verse. So when Jesus, he hears that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Two more days? What? Jesus, and the verse goes on, and then he said to his disciples after two days, let's go back to Judea. I think we can go now. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm reading this. I'm like, okay, let, let's get this straight, Jesus. When someone you love, when, when someone you love, when you're as close as Jesus is to this family and you find out that one of them is sick, you don't take a nap, you don't check your email, you don't watch another episode of the Great British Baking Show. You drop everything and you go. You get there, whatever it takes. 
But Jesus doesn't do that. He waits. In fact, he doesn't just wait. The Bible tells us he waits until he knows that Lazarus is dead. John continues, So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Believe what? Believe what, Jesus? That you don't care about your friend? That you had better things to do? That you were preoccupied? That you you would rather be out somewhere by yourself or be over there praying and thinking about something you wanted to teach to the disciples later? Believe what, Jesus? In fact, it's interesting in this story, the name Lazarus in Hebrew actually means God has helped. But at this point in the story, it seems to be just the opposite. Maybe they should change his name to God hasn't helped, or God didn't help, or maybe God couldn't help. Not a lot of hope at this point, is there? But look at what happens next. Jesus packs up the minivan. He takes the disciples through the drive through at cookout, and he hits the road for Bethany. He stops on the outskirts of the town. He's not quite there yet. And it's here that he has his first interaction with the, three, excuse me, with the two sisters. Martha comes rushing out to meet him first. Lord, she says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. One of the things that I appreciate most about Martha, you might know this, there's another story about Martha and her sister. They're having a little squabble over who should be hosting all the disciples at the house and take care of the food and meals. Martha does not have any problem speaking her mind, right? She knows how to to give it. And that's exactly what we see here. She is angry. She's upset. She's kind of ticked and she's hurt. She feels betrayed and she's going to let Jesus have it. Jesus... What the hot sauce are you thinking, right? I mean, she is not happy. If you had been here, Jesus, this would not have happened. She knows exactly what she wanted. Jesus, why didn't you show up? See, so often I think in times of loss, I will meet Christians, I will meet people of faith who think that being angry and being a person of faith cannot go together. That somehow feeling disappointment with God is to somehow have a lack of faith. But I don't actually think that's the case. In fact, I think Martha shows us another way. Martha shows us that sometimes feeling the anger is what faith is all about. In fact, as we're going to see in just a moment, Martha is going to have to walk through her anger before she can ever get to a place of hope. When her brother dies, Martha goes straight to Jesus and she lets him have it. Martha is the picture of raw, honest faith in the midst of great pain. And what I love about Jesus in this picture, what I love about our Savior is that he takes it. He receives her anger and her disappointment and he holds it with her. You see, Martha wasn't just wrestling with anger. She's also wrestling with this question, why? Jesus, why, right? God, why did you let this happen? And more importantly, why won't you fix it? And that's what the rest of her statement is about. It's a theological statement. Martha is rehearsing her good Sunday school lessons. 
Okay, Jesus, I know that you're all powerful, that you're all knowing, and that you're all, 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 all stuff. You're all that stuff. And I know that God will give you whatever you want. So go ahead, Jesus, fix it. Even now, right now, Jesus, you, you go, you, you do it, you fix it. I'm ready, I'll just wait right here. But Jesus doesn't try to fix it. Instead, he responds, watch this, by offering her hope. Look at the very next verse. Jesus says to her, Martha, your brother will rise again. Interesting. Martha goes back to her Sunday school answers. Jesus, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then Jesus says, no, 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 Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Martha, Martha, do you believe this? You see, Martha comes with the theological question, Jesus, can't you just fix this? And Jesus' answer is, watch this, Martha, I'm working on it. Martha, it's not just Lazarus' death that I'm trying to carry here. I'm trying to deal with the problem of loss and grief and sin and death for the entire world. Martha, will you trust me? See, the picture we get of Martha here is one of anger, one of disappointment. Jesus, where are you? And one of bargaining. Jesus, can you just fix this? But the picture we get of Mary in the next few verses is a little bit different. Look with me at what happens here. Jesus sends Martha to tell Mary he is here, and Mary comes to see him. John tells us, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, look at this, watch this, she fell at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary is wrecked. She's utterly distraught. She hasn't spoken to anyone. She hasn't left the bed. Earlier, John tells us she hasn't even left the house. When she hears that Jesus is near, Mary can barely drag herself to go see him. And when she reaches him, she collapses at his feet. I want to pause here because there's something very, very important that we notice about grief in this story. And it's a bit of a paradox about the grieving process. You see, on the one hand, no two people will ever grieve the same way. Mary and Martha are grieving very differently. And one of the mistakes that we make in times of loss, whether it's death or it's something little, big losses or small losses, is to tell someone that we know exactly how they feel. You don't. Your losses might be similar, but everyone grieves in a personal way. And yet, and yet at the same time, there is a common journey that we all must walk if we're going to journey through grief to a place of hope. Psychologists have identified what are sometimes called the four stages of grief, four common emotions that we feel in a time of loss, and we see each and every one of these in Mary Martha's story. The first feeling is the feeling of denial. Think about a loss in your life, and maybe you'll remember this. Denial is not outright disbelief, but rather it's our attempt to get our minds around the fact of what has just happened. You know you are experiencing denial when you're going, I just can't believe this is happening. Do y'all remember April? And we were all in collective denial. We're like, I just can't believe this is happening, right? 
This is not how the story was supposed to go. Is this for real? That's denial. Well, eventually we move from denial into the second stage, which is the stage of bargaining. This is the, if I had only, or if we could have, or Jesus, if you had only been here. You see, those are statements of bargaining. This is where we replay the events over and over in our heads, trying to imagine some kind of control that we could have had over that loss. Well, the third stage is the one that we see most pronounced in this passage, and that is the stage of anger. Eventually, we realize that all the bargaining isn't going to work and that we don't have any control in the situation at all. And we become very, very angry. Angry at the outcome. Angry at God. Angry at the brokenness in this world. But eventually, eventually, if we give ourselves to the process, the journey, we move beyond anger to the place of sadness because we begin to realize that behind every mad is sad. And here's why this matters. Because when we move into the sadness, when we reach the sadness, we are now at the place where, as the song we sang says, we are ready for him to come. Now, of course, we don't go through all these emotions just at once. And in the first few days of a loss, we might feel all four of them within one hour, right? But here's why it matters. You see, as a pastor, I have so often seen folks get stuck in this process. They can get stuck in one of those first three stages and never make it to the sadness. And it's in the sadness when we can be honest about the loss that God can come with healing and with hope. And that is what we see in Mary and Martha's story. When Mary says, Lord, if you had been here, what she's really asking is the question that's at the core of her loss, at the core of her pain. Jesus, don't you care? Jesus, do you care about this loss? Jesus, do you care about this pain? I love how Jesus answers this question. In fact, it's not an answer with words. It's an answer with his soul. And it's one of the most profound verses in all the Bible. Look at what John tells us. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? Jesus asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then in the shortest verse in all of the scriptures, Jesus wept. The same Jesus who waited two days, the same Jesus who knew Nazareth would be, uh, Lazarus would be raised from the dead, the same Jesus who promised Martha that death would not get the last word, this same Jesus who knows how the story ends, this same Jesus weeps. Why? Well, because he loved them. Because he loves you. You see, the shocking thing of the Bible is not that there is death and brokenness and sickness and disease and injustice and pain in the world. We know that. The shocking story of the Bible is that God chose to enter into that brokenness, to take that pain upon himself so that he might redeem it, heal it, and restore it. But there's something else remarkable going on right here, too, that we almost miss. And you'll have to forgive me this little nerdy moment 
Because when John describes the weeping of Mary and of the Jews, he uses the common word for weeping or crying, the word kleros. It occurs 39 times in the New Testament. But when he describes Jesus weeping, he uses a word that occurs only this one time in all of the scriptures. It's the word dakrios, and it's best translated as he emptied himself of every last tear. You see, when Jesus weeps over Lazarus' death, he's not just weeping over the loss of his friend. He's weeping over your loss and my loss. He's weeping over every loss that will ever come in this world, over every broken relationship, every broken dream, every broken heart that will experience sadness and grief and loss. He weeps, he weeps, because there is no pain so deep that God's grace cannot reach it. So, how do we open ourselves up to that compassion? How do we allow God's grace to come and fill us with hope in the midst of loss? Well, in these last just few minutes, I want to give you four things that you might do this week to open yourself up, to say, God, would you come and fill me with this hope even in the midst of the loss? And the first is this. First thing we need to do is we need to acknowledge the loss. We need to acknowledge the loss. We have to name it, right? I think this is one of the greatest challenges for us in the last nine months, I think particularly for students. I think about our kids who started their first year of kindergarten this fall or their first semester of college or the seniors who were so looking forward to their senior year of high school. And if we're all honest, it's been kind of rough, hasn't it? I mean, this is not how the story was supposed to go. And have we allowed ourselves to just name that loss? We're not trying to be bitter. We're not trying to, but but can we name it? Can we be honest about that loss? I've sat with couples whose wedding plans were upended. Families who have not been able to visit loved ones in the hospital have had to talk through windows. And even those who have lost loved ones to death even in these last few weeks. And it's important to name that loss, to be honest about the pain. Now, acknowledging the loss does not mean sinking into despair or bitterness or complaining. That's just another way of getting stuck. But it does mean naming it and being honest about the effect it's had on you. First thing we have to do is acknowledge the loss. The second is to pray and ask for God's comfort. Once you name the loss, You simply invite God into that situation in prayer. You ask God to comfort you in your loss. And many of us don't actually take the time to do this because we don't really believe that he cares. Well, that's just, it's not a big, you know, my thing, or it's not a real loss, or I'm just supposed to suck it up and get through it. But we must remember, the story of Lazarus would have us remember that God loves you. He weeps with you. And he wants to comfort you in your time of loss. Third thing we do is we need to share the burden with others. One of the greatest sources of hope for Christians is found in the relationships we have with others who are following Jesus. Paul the Apostle tells us in Galatians that we are to carry one another's burdens. I've experienced this within the last 24 hours. (laughs) 
Uh, I was having a little bit of a rough week just naming some stuff in my life that was feeling kind of heavy, and I was trying to carry it all by myself like a good pastor's supposed to, I guess. And I was carrying that in. I went to the gym yesterday, and I almost never work out on Saturdays, but God's providence had me there. And my friend Willie was there. And Willie asked me this question. He said, Aaron, how are you doing? And in that moment, you know that moment, like, am I going to give the hot sauce answer or am I going to give the real answer, right? Am I... And in that moment, I just, I had the courage to be honest. I said, well, Willie, can I tell you really how I'm doing? He said, yeah. And I, and I just shared some of that. And we talked for five minutes and he listened. He didn't try to fix or solve. And at the end, he reminded me, true. He didn't even know what I was preaching on. He reminded me of God's faithfulness in the past and the hope that I have that he will be faithful in the future. We can find hope by sharing our burdens with others. Fourth and finally, we find hope by trusting God with the future. You know, it's kind of interesting. John, who records this story of Lazarus for us in his gospel, wrote a few other letters in his lifetime that we have as part of the New Testament. And the very last one he wrote is the book of Revelation. And I've often wondered if John wasn't recalling this story when he was finishing that book, because in the very last two chapters of the Bible, in the very end of the book of Revelation, John promises this scene, this coming day when we will weep no more. He writes this, he says, when Jesus comes, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Behold, I'm making everything new. You see, the real gift of hope that God offers us, the real gift of hope this Christmas, is that though death has entered our world, God did not let death be the end of the story. God sent his son to die for us so that even though we will die, we might live eternally with him. This is the promise of hope that Jesus gave to Martha. This is the promise of hope that Jesus gave to Mary. And this is the promise that he makes to you and me today, if we will trust him. So how about you? How about you? What if the words of Paul could be true for you today? That the God of hope could fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. And that you might be filled with such hope that it would overflow in the power of the Holy Spirit. What if that could be true for you? Well, instead of praying for you today to end our message, I wanted to invite a friend of mine to come and join me, my friend Jason Devine, who's a ministry partner here at Lake Forest Church and also leads our care team to share with you a little bit about something he's been doing and experiencing uh, over these last many days. So Jason, would you come on up here? No, let me get you a microphone too. Hey, can we welcome Jason? Yeah, come on. Jason, uh, uh, a number of weeks ago, you came to me and said, Aaron, you know, I've just been feeling this kind of nudging from the Holy Spirit, and and I just want to check in on our church and how our people are doing. And and you said, would it be all right if I just started making some phone calls to folks to check in, especially on those who might be homebound or or just not have a support system around them? And, And I said, well, 
Of course, yes, that would be awesome. <laughs> and so you've been doing that work and touching base with some folks. Maybe even some of you in the room or some of you online have actually had a conversation with Jason. Jason, tell us, what, what are you hearing from folks? What are the challenges and struggles they're trying to navigate in this season? What's bubbling up in those conversations? Well, I appreciate the, uh, the question. I appreciate you allowing me to, to make the calls, and thank you guys for answering the calls as they come in. You know, just like seasons of a calendar, there are different seasons of the year, and I would like to say that everyone is in as a season of gratitude and advent and anticipation. Unfortunately, though, there are some people that for, as you mentioned earlier, maybe it's the first time that they're going to be experiencing Christmas without a loved one that has passed in the past year, or maybe it's because of the isolation that COVID has had on them. It runs the gamut. Um, so there are sometimes that I am blessed and people allow me to celebrate the things that they are giving thanks for right now. And there are other times that I'm blessed that people give me an honest answer and give me a, an opportunity to really just speak with them and allow God to meet them where they are. Mm. Jason, you've been uh, honoring the confidence of folks, which I really appreciate, uh, and not sharing names or details. But, but um, could you share a little bit? How are you seeing God bring hope to folks in the midst of those struggling times? Are you seeing any of that happen? Absolutely, and I'm actually glad you mentioned the, the confidence thing. Um, two things, I promise. When you see my number, in fact, um, if you're like me, a lot of times if you get a telephone call, and I don't know this number, I'll let it go to voicemail, right? That's typically how we operate. So 704-473-2430 out of Shelby, North Carolina. If you see that on your phone, Two things I promise. Number one, I'm not going to ask you about your car auto insurance <laughs> warranty. That will not come up. Number two, the, the conversation is in complete confidence. Yeah. If it is shared at all, number one, I will get your blessing to do so, and it will only be with someone to the extent that if you need something more than just an ear to listen to you, that I might need some assistance in some practical assistance to you. It may be shared, but again, it will only be with your blessing and approval. Otherwise, it is completely in confidence. Mm. But to answer your question, you know, we were singing this, the words of the second song. Um, I think that actually Nathan wrote, but mm -hmm. there are some people out there that are worn and weary, and their troubles are great. I had a guy that answered the phone, and, and he said, you know, I, I never answer calls that I don't recognize these numbers, but something just told me to answer this call. A couple of people, after I've briefly explained and given the, uh, the caveat of what I'm calling about, there's a pause, and they say, you know, this call couldn't have came at a better time. Mm. This was just, and some people may ascribe that to coincidence. I like to think that's providence. That doesn't have anything to do with Jason Devine by any means. It's, it's God at work. And, and I've been reminded by God's prophet Joshua that says, and the child was born of a virgin, and they gave him the name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And there are times I get off the phone, Aaron, and I feel humbled, and I feel overwhelmed because it's, it's obvious. God is, is obviously with us. Mm, that's so awesome. Well, Jason, one of the things I love, you guys don't know this, but Jason uh, is trained and credentialed as a chaplain as well. And uh, he just came to us a long time ago and said, look, I, I know God's called me to this church and, and um, I, I would love to be able to use my gifts and, and talents and abilities to serve our church. And Jason, I'm so thankful that you said yes to God's invitation to do that. Um, as I think about the folks here, I'm gonna invite them to take a posture of receiving in just a minute. And those joining us online, I'm gonna ask Jason to pray for you all, to pray for me too, to pray for all of us 
that God would fill us with hope. And so if you're comfortable, you don't have to. If you want to just put your hands maybe in an upright position gently on your lap, or if you're at home, whatever posture you want to take that would say, God, I want to receive from you right now. Would you consider taking that posture? Jason, would you pray for us? Most definitely. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you at this moment in worship and praise. We worship you and praise you for being the magnificent and glorious creator of the universe. And yet, Lord, in a mysterious way that still boggles the mind, you love each of us individually, intimately. And Lord, you don't ask us to come to you with our thoughts and our prayers. You, you direct us to. You, you actually instruct us to do that. So Lord, I would, I would like to think that we all come to you right now with hearts heavy with thanksgiving. But I also recognize that there are some out there right now that are, hearts are heavy with grief or loss and are overwhelmed where thankfulness is foreign and elusive. Lord, for those that are listening right now, whether it be in person here or online or maybe listening later in the week to a tape-delayed version of this message, if they dare to allow that still small voice in them to say, are you speaking to me, God? Lord, amplify that, magnify that. Give them the assurance that, yes, you are speaking directly to them, that you love them individually, just like a child. Lord, we give you thanks in advance and beforehand for all that you have done for us and will continue to do for us. Allow us to be receptive to you and come into our lives. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, my friend. Can we thank Jason? Would you all stand as we close with one song of worship?